Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good for some reason. Ah, there we go. There we go. Hello there. Hello. Hi. It's so lovely to have that initial like, there's a real person on the other side of that place. <laughs> you know, especially coming from like the clubhouse world, it's like just a voice and then maybe you see their Instagram profile, but then there's like, yes, like an official nice person. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, welcome. Thank you again so much for setting aside the time to have this conversation with me and to being a part of this passion project. So as we get started, I would like to just get us grounded fully in our bodies just to take a couple moments to just settle in. So find a comfortable position for your body if you'd like to let your eyes close or just bring your gaze downward and just take three deep breaths in through the nose and out through your mouth. inviting your whole self into this moment, into this experience, creating the space for this conversation to share, to learn, to grow, to laugh, to inspire, just by bringing your whole and complete self into this space. And then taking a moment just to find gratitude for anything that you'd like, something in this moment that you are grateful for. And then just allowing that sensation of gratitude to expand out from your heart, surrounding your body and the space that you're in. And taking one more deep breath in and releasing the exhale completely. And then when you are ready, gently beginning to blink, open your eyes. Mm. Yeah. Welcome. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You're welcome. So we're going to dive right in. And I'm going to start by giving you an opportunity to introduce yourself by sharing your name, where you're from, and what you stand for. Ooh, love that, what I stand for. Um, my name is Valerie Carmel. Um, that is my first and middle name. My last name is way too complicated. <laughs> um, I am born in Brooklyn, raised in Miami, and currently living in um, Orlando, Florida. And I stand for women who are powerful and owning their mental health. Mm. Now, New York, are you in New York now? No, no, I was born there. <laughs> I was gonna but say, how's the weather? <laughs> Today was 77 degrees in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> yes, it sounds a lot like Long Beach, California <laughs> right now. So good. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so born in New York. Now, did you just migrate in adulthood or how did you get from New York to Florida? What was that like? Um, 
my you know, my parents are from Haiti, so you imagine some very tropical Caribbean folks, you know, living in the snow was not their jam. Um, me and my brother were getting quite sick during the winter seasons, and so we relocated to Miami when I was probably about six years old, and I pretty much lived in Miami off and on from the time I was six. So I moved um, to Orlando like four or five years ago. Mm, okay. So Miami is home to me. Miami is home. Yeah, I I uh, I don't blame them for not liking the freezing cold. I <laughs> am a Southern California native. I was born in Inglewood and then moved around a lot as a child. We lived in Portland, then we lived in Utah, then back in LA area, and then in the late '80s my parents moved out to the high desert area, which when I was 12 years old and we left Inglewood and moved to a place called Apple Valley in the middle of the desert, I thought we were in the witness protection program because I was like, who, there's no one here. Where are all the people? Where are the sidewalks and the streetlights? Why do we live here? So um, when I- I love, I love that. Yeah, when I decided to go away to college, I spent some time in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then, you know, gradually made my way back to California, which is home. So I can appreciate 70 degree weather in February, you know, absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely a sunshine, a sunshine girl. So when you think about what you stand for, I, I like what you said about inspiring and empowering women to really own their mental health. Can you speak to that a little more and tell me what that looks like for you? Um, so I am a therapist by profession, but I also struggle with anxiety. And being a woman of color, family from the Caribbean, mental health was just not a thing that was really talked about. You know, my family did a great job in terms of teaching me and making sure that I was, you know, had a sense of like family oriented and being concerned about you know, my community and like and the people that I come in contact with. But my mental health was never something that was really discussed at home. And it wasn't until I became a therapist and really started to talk to other families and talk to clients and talk to patients and be in that space that I realized how much of my own mental health was affecting the way that I saw the world. And it was affecting the way that I showed up in my relationships. It was affecting the way that I showed up with my clients. It was affecting the way that I saw myself. And that was a reality that I didn't think I was expecting mm -hmm. um, to come face to face with. And, you know, life happens to all of us, right? We go through things that we didn't expect that really kind of challenges us and I had and I went through a period of time where I went through a, a depression I had gone through several miscarriages I had um you know I had gotten fired from my job and you know money was funny I mean it was a lot of stress on me and my mental health suffered so greatly mm -hmm. um and from that point I realized how much my mental health was affecting everything else. I'm talking about my hair was falling out. I would literally like run my fingers through it and it would fall out. 
my skin. I was breaking out in hives almost every single day from all of the like angst and stress just inside of my body. And I realized I didn't want to live my life like that. And that wasn't the way that I wanted to show up for my son. That wasn't the way that I wanted to show up for my family. It wasn't the way I wanted to show up for myself. And I really started taking back what that meant to me. Um, And it's still a process. Um, Most days I feel like I'm doing pretty well. I give myself most days a B plus. Um, Most days I'm doing well, Um, but there are some days that it just kind of like throws you and you're like, oh, that's new. I wasn't expecting that reaction or that situation to happen. And you just learn to kind of, okay, now what? And I want to inspire other women to know that just because you struggle with anxiety or you struggle with depression or you've experienced trauma, that this is your life. Those things may have happened to you, but they are not who you are. And you have the right to have a life where you feel healthy in all aspects. So um, that's kind of what it means for me. Yeah, no, that's... I think educating women and inspiring women to know that taking ownership over their health period is a revolutionary act, you know, and then to inspire them to take ownership of their mental health is a revolutionary act in itself. You know, my family on my mother's side, there's a history of, of mental illness. My, my grandmother, my mother's mother, you know, she passed away in 2017 when she was in her early nineties. And so back in the forties, you know, in the fifties, when she was a young mother of eight children living in new Orleans, struggling with what they called manic depression and hysteria, you know, back in the day, and they would take women and over medicate them or institutionalize them and never ever offering them any sense of empowerment when it came to their mental health. And so I watched my grandmother really struggle for the majority of her adult life with unseen traumas and unspoken stories and things that she really just carried with her. And, you know, I watched the decline over time happen as her mental health wasn't being treated with counseling. It was only being treated with medication. And it wasn't until she was in her eighties that there were, you know, decisions made to say, maybe we should explore something different. Maybe we should see if we can get her to start talking about some of these things that were happening that were going on for her. And that's when she really started to tell her story. And I would say from watching her experience even as a young child into an adult, that was my first indicator that taking ownership of my mental health was my right. And it was also my responsibility to really show up, like you said, as a woman, as a mother, as a sister, as a daughter, et cetera. So, so I, I affirm that, that it is definitely a, a necessary function, I think, for for us as women, especially as black women, mm-hmm. to really inspire one another to say, hey, sis, how are you? 
you know, what's going on and how are you feeling? And, you know, to get past the, I'm good, everything's great, you know, to really dig deeper because mm-hmm. I don't think that that was, that wasn't something that we even talked about, you know, a lot as a child. So when you think about your experiences growing up and your culture and your family was mental health, like a dinner conversation or what did that look like for you? No, no, not even a little bit. No. Okay. Not even a little bit. I mean, you know, you, we all have the, the members in our families who are a little bit like, you know, hot. We have like the hot head. You have the one who kind of like, you know, is quick to like pop off. And like, you have the one who's kind of like quiet and doesn't really talk to you. You kind of know your people's personalities, right? But you never attribute, I don't think I ever attribute anything, any of it to like actually mental illness. I don't think I made the connection until years later when I'm like in college, you know, learning to become a therapist. And I started to like, huh, my mother has anxiety. (laughs) Okay. Like that's, it's like, oh, that's why she's like this. Oh, my mother has anxiety. And that's why I have, I struggle with the overthinking, the procrastination. Oh, I have anxiety. That's what's like, it, it took a while before it all started to like come together in my own mind. And I think oftentimes we're so, it's so easy to like catch everybody else's stuff, right? But when you got to look at yourself, it is like whoa that's what this is nah (laughs) you're like nah maybe it's not that maybe it's not that and then you like you know think of other things and maybe I need to work harder and maybe I need to maybe it's like I'm not sleeping I need to add some vitamins I need to do blah 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 and maybe those things may be beneficial to you but Oftentimes we're just focusing on the actual symptom rather than the root of the problem. Right. So it's like this new space of like, huh, I'm comfortable saying I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that was not something that I was comfortable saying. (laughs) I'm sure. Six months ago. Right, like six, nine months ago was not something I was comfortable saying. And I kind of went through a a space of like imposter syndrome Mm. of like, how can I be a therapist treating people with anxiety and I have anxiety? Like maybe this is, I mean, I literally was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing therapy. Maybe I should be doing something. Like, I can't, like, I, how do I make sense of the person who I am on the inside and be this person who's supposed to help support and treat other people? Right. Um, it, it, it was a lot of like mixed feelings in that time. Oh, I'm sure. Which it's is funny. so interesting when you think of it, because as the the patient, I guess, or the client on the other side of the conversation, the irony of that is to be able to speak to someone who not only has the the professional training 
and education, but has lived experience to be able to say, this shit that I'm telling you actually works. <laughs> These are things that I've actually tried. <laughs> Practices that, that didn't work for me, but this might work for you. You know, because sometimes I think that when, when people are thinking about therapy or they're considering therapy, there's so much misconception, I think, that's, that's carried with that. Mm-hmm. And there's also just anxiety around going to therapy for anxiety, you know? So mm-hmm. you to have the, I guess, the privilege of being a client that's like, hey, my therapist, she's overcoming this stuff too. So I feel like I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. It's like, this is something that's happening for other people. And I can also understand the imposter syndrome coming up as the facilitator, as the provider, that's like, holy shit, I can't, I can't be over here falling apart. And I'm trying to help these other people. (laughs) How's this going to work? You know? So. Yep. That's real. Like it, it, it really was like a space of like, what? Like, how did I get here? Like, what? How did I get here? Because anxiety was not always a thing that affected me. You know, I, I, I definitely always had kind of like the inner, like my own like inner like thought process and mom, like the voices of like, you know, maybe you shouldn't have said that. You should be doing that. Maybe you shouldn't do that. But that was probably wrong. Like, I always had like that part of me that always did the overthinking. The but honestly, I've noticed that as we age, and as we grow, we've gone through more experiences in life and things change, like typically anxiety starts to increase the older you get. <laughs> and I don't know what the exact um, clinical reasons are behind it. I know they're doing studies of trying to understand that piece, but people anxiety tends to get worse as they age. Mm-hmm. And part of that is a lot of just the exposure to more potential things that are stressing you out, right? You know, when you're six and happy-go-lucky and your parents are, you know, taking care of you and buying the popsicles and whatever, like, you know, it's great to be six. Then, you know, then you're 36 and you got a mortgage and a job and children are raised and you're like, well, too much stuff on my plate, right? And so you kind of like gradually recognize little by little, like it's almost insidious the way that anxiety can almost kind of like creep in. And I think that's part of the problem when, you know, I'm speaking to women, especially Black women, because I think what has happened is that we have become we have normalized our stress level. Mm. We have normalized that level of stress. And so you don't recognize, like you're kind of slowly starting to creep to a place where it's like, I'm accustomed to this stress. It doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel stressful. This is my life. You know, I'm always on the go and I'm running and picking kids up and dropping kids off and running and make sales and whatever. And then you stop. And that's when you realize, shit, I'm tired. It's tired. Yeah. Tired. Yeah. Absolutely. And or you 
forget to pick up your kid from school mm-hmm. and go all the way home and start cooking dinner and you're like, you're like no <laughs> I seem to have forgotten something along the way you know I I'm cooking for two, but there's only one of me here what's that oh shit I forgot to pick up my kid you know and it's so interesting that you say that we've normalized our stress levels and I think that you know kind of goes into that strong black woman complex that we feel like we have to live up to and the idea of of succumbing to stress or even admitting stress Mm -hmm. or admitting anxiety can feel like we're not living up to that standard you know or this or we're not as strong and and while it's interesting because something that's been brought into conversations uh, in, in spaces that I'm in is this idea of stress resiliency, how we're able to be resilient even when stressed. And it's like, is that something we really need to be doing? <laughs> or can we just rest <laughs> instead? I don't want to be resiliently stressed. I want to rest when I'm stressed. <laughs> I don't want to be like a super stressed person. You know what I mean? Because I think that what that does is it puts us into this cycle where we think that to admit stress or to acknowledge anxiety means that we're we're broken or we're weak or we're no longer capable. And I think that, and for me, you know, anxiety is something like you mentioned, it's fun to be six. I'm the oldest of five children. My parents have been together since they were 15. They had me at 19, so I have young parents. and. When I was six, I was living in a predominantly white area of Utah. Well, Utah is basically all white, but it was really particularly white area that we lived in. And I was walking home from school at six. I was making after school snacks and I wasn't home for hours until my parents came home from work. And then some days I went to a relative's house and you know would hang out. At six years old though, I remember having what felt like a lot more responsibility than my peers at the time. And that continued throughout childhood as the oldest, as my mom's confidant a lot growing up, the, I started to feel that increase in anxiety, like you said, as I aged. So by the time I was in my 20s, I felt like I was in my 40s you know, physically and mentally. And so it wasn't until I was actually able to find safe spaces to think about these things. And I started journaling when I was really young, just to get the thoughts out of my mind and started recognizing different practices to kind of help me stabilize that I recognized that, okay, anxiety is a, is, it's a thing. It's a part of my, my experience. And I don't have to be ashamed about it. I don't have to be afraid of it. I just have to learn ways to cope. So when you think of your own personal practices of of self-care and and wellness, what are some things that you do to take really great care of yourself? Journaling is my jam. I have been journaling since I was like 17. (laughs) You're like, yes, that's that's my jam. Like I, um, I think almost to the point where I think about a year and a half ago, I actually wrote a book on teaching women how to utilize journaling, specifically reflective journaling, um, to help them learn the best way to like get it all out. So not just from the standpoint of like from like a 
person who just likes to journal, but also from like a clinical standpoint as to why research says that this is an effective way of coping with anxiety and coping with depression um, and managing your stress levels. And so through that process, like me journaling is like, it's like I'm in another space when I'm journaling. Yeah. It is like the purest form of release for me. Yeah. It is almost to the like between journaling and prayer, I mean honestly has saved my life. Because there was a point where I was very depressed in my life and had it not been for my son, had it not been for my faith, had it not been for my journaling, I honestly don't know like where I would be. Because I literally felt like I was on from the level of depression and stress that I felt. And there was so much shame involved in that. There was so much guilt involved in that. You know, when you are the oldest child and the one that everybody comes to, and you're the one who's put together and knows all the answers and you have it all together, and then you start falling apart, you're like, holy crap, who am I now? I'm not that person. Right. And I, I don't know who I am if I'm not that person. And so journaling to this day is still the way that I kind of like deal with my, take care of myself. I still spend, I've actually like recently incorporated meditation into it. I found that I actually really like it. Um, with an anxious mind and things, random thoughts constantly floating through there. It's nice to just like quiet. <laughs> it's nice to just have a moment of like, there's no random grocery list I'm trying to think of things to get at Costco next week. It's just nice, like just beautiful. Um, spinning has become my, I, I, I started spinning like right before um, the pandemic hit and I was going and then the pandemic hit and I wasn't able to do it, but like I have a stationary bike at home. I have been really enjoying um, the Peloton app on my phone and like I cycle at home. Like I did like 30 minutes, like a few hours before we started. Like it, it helps to like release some of that like tension and stress and pressure. Um, so I've, I've gotten really good about taking care of me. And that was not something that I was good at at all. Five years ago, I was crap at it. <laughs> Ate crappy food. I didn't sleep well. I mean, I almost never went to the doctor. I mean, I didn't do well. I, I didn't. I was great at taking care of everybody else, but like I was very far the bottom of the list of priorities. Yeah. And in, you know, when we're talking about that sense of like stress resilience, I typically explain it to my clients as a, um, but think about it like weight training, right? Mm -hmm. So you go to the gym, you start off with five pounds, and then like after, in the beginning it may be heavy, but after a while it's easy, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're like, oh, that's great. Like I'm going to go to 10 pounds. And then like after that, wow, you're like, you're at 20. Your feelings shouldn't be treated like weight training. Right. You shouldn't think that because now you've handled 
20 pounds of stress that now you need to be like, oh, so now I can handle 30. Uh -uh. It doesn't mean you need to add more. <laughs> you don't need to like add more. You actually need to decrease it. Right. Like you want to take off that stress. You don't want to say, yes, I've handled 20. Um, let's do another 20. No. No. And that's are, it, no, it's it, like you said, things are not weights, you know, because when you think of, like you said, like weight training, when you're weight training, you're intentionally, you know, breaking down your muscle fibers and then building them back up again. So when you think of stress, stress doesn't build you back up. It just breaks things down. You know, it affects your sleep. It affects your diet. It affects everything. Your physical health can be affected by stress. Stress is what causes heart disease and all these other things. And so I think getting to, getting to a place where we really can understand the value of making ourselves the most important person in our lives making ourselves number one, top of our list, you know, number one, highest, you know, honor in, in our mind is ourselves. And I think that that's something that we're learning in adulthood, because as children, we weren't necessarily taught that, you know, just if we think of even some of the language that we use and, oh, she's so full of herself and, oh, that's a bad thing. And, oh, she's so self-centered. And it's like, mm -hmm. I should be at the center of myself, shouldn't I? Shouldn't I be the most important thing to speak? I mean, doesn't sound like such a bad thing. And shouldn't I be full of me? And, and so I can go out into the world and give as a full, whole person. So it's interesting. I'm, I've been having a lot of conversations about language and understanding how as we're rewriting these stories, as we're empowering ourselves to own our mental health, that changing the language that we use even to describe what that process looks like is really important because we're, we're unlearning a lot of things that we learned as, as children or in our youth. And we're creating new beliefs and new systems and new programming for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I like that, you know, cause I too was at the bottom of my list, you know, being the oldest, you know, being parentified essentially at a very young age, having mm -hmm. the responsibility of younger siblings and then having a child in my 20s and then taking responsibility there and then also just being a, a natural caretaker type personality yeah. or, you know, giver, you know, give, being that person, I have to be super, super intentional about taking my me time every single day, whether it's, you know, getting up in the morning, I'm an early riser, I'm usually up before the sun, as soon as the sun comes up, I go take my walk. I'll take a walk sometimes for 30 minutes, sometimes for 45, sometimes for a whole hour, come back, make my tea, I sit, I'll do a meditation, and then I get into my day. And there was a time when I didn't do that. There was a time when I would wake up, just one eye open, okay, let's go, let's get the kid, let's get in the car, let's cook this, and then look up and be like, wait, am I even awake? It's 11 o'clock, you know, it, losing total track. So. I totally understand. I totally understand. What is your, now you mentioned you have a sibling or is it just the two of you or do you have a, a big family? Mm -hmm. just, a, just me and him. Aww. Okay. And what's your relationship like with your brother? Is this, is mental health something that you guys talk about openly as well? Or how is he? Um, now it is. Now okay. it is. I'm, I'm constantly, constantly like on about it. Like yeah. I, uh, 
Um, so he's my, he's, we're exactly three years apart. And I saw him the other day and I go, you talk to somebody. He was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm like, no, seriously, like the pandemic, like things have changed. You have to change jobs and whatever. I'm like, dude, you can right. speak to someone. Right. And then he kind of looked at me and I said, he's like, yeah, you're probably right. And so like, and I'm like, listen, I'm looking for a therapist. Like, not because I'm like unraveling or falling apart or like, you know, I think my life is awful. Like therapy is not for, you know, it's not about, you know, I'm broken, let mm-hmm. somebody fix me, right? Therapy is about growth. It is about, I want to understand better who I am, why I do what I do and how can I become go to the next level of my of my evolution that's what this is about like it it isn't about you know I think that the connotation of like what therapy is about people get all very freaked out and you know and oh you know have to and and I do that like when I have discovery calls for clients who want to start with me I do that because I want to say what do you think therapy is what are you looking for in a like, what do you think this is going to look like? Or how do you want this to look like? Because this time is not about me. This time is about you. Mm-hmm. What do you want to get out of it? And most people are like, huh, never thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's, and it's, 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 I think, I think what's good about what's happening right now is because the topic of therapy and mental health is finding its way into more conversations. It's finding its way. I mean, it's all over social media, it's on television, it's in movies, it's everywhere. Whereas, you know, even 10 years ago, it wasn't something that was part of the daily, the daily dialogue. It just wasn't, you know, taking mental health days from work or from school wasn't something. I mean, it was something that I practiced, you know, with my son, we had an agreement where he could get like at least one mental health day a month where it was like, I'm not sick, mom. I just need a day. I just need a day. And it's like, okay, cool. We're going to sit, we're going to talk, we're going to have conversation because I recognized early that when I started my own journey of healing and, and like you said, self-awareness, and I love what you said is that it's not about being broken. It's about growth. It's about gaining a better understanding of self and who we are through conversation, through counsel, and just through guidance. And so I think that now that we're having more open dialogue about the importance of therapy, we're also able to speak to it from our own personal experiences and to also say there's lots of different types of therapists out there. There's lots of different methodologies for therapy. There's not a one size fits all for everyone. And to feel confident enough to say to our friends and our family, I think you need to talk to someone. And it's not because I'm saying something's wrong with you or because you're broken. It's, I want to see you grow. I want to see you level up. I want to see you get to the next level of greatness. And I think that it'd be great if you had somebody to support you with that, you know? So yeah, I, I agree. Well, I would like to switch gears just a little bit. And this is the portion of our conversation where we play a little, a little bit of a, a little, I call it a little game, but it's really, it's more of a game for me because I get to learn more about you. So I know we've talked a little bit about 
what you do as a, as a professional and we've heard from your professional opinion. So I'm gonna ask you some questions and what really give you an opportunity to complete the sentence so that we can learn a little bit more about you, the woman, the Valerie behind all the therapy. Okay. So I'm gonna give you a okay, sentence cool. and you complete it, take up as much or as little space as you'd like. The first is I am happiest when. I am happiest when I'm sitting on my back porch, listening to the rainfall with a cup of tea and my son near, and my son and my, and my dog next to me. That's when I'm happy. Yeah. That's good. I like that. How about I know I'm fed up when When I start cussing in English and in Creole, I'm done. <laughs> Put a fork in there. Finish. And if I and if I like start quoting scripture in between the cussing, just walk away. Walk away. Because I'm trying to ask God to help me in the moment because I know I'm getting out of pocket. So I'm like, I'm cussing <laughs> and praying at the same time. You hear that just exit stage left. Stage left, exit stage left rapidly. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. Just get on up out of here. Expeditiously. <laughs> <laughs> Understood, understood. Okay, y'all hope you heard that. Okay, Valerie starts cussing in Creole and English. You already know if she starts praying, stand back. Stand back. Right. Stand back. How about I know I've made an impact when? Oh. I know I've made an impact when I see a person blink and their eyes get bigger. Mm -hmm. It's like a moment of like, oh, I never thought of it that way. That look when that when I'm talking to a person and they have that moment of like, huh, love that. Love that. That's how I know that I've dropped like yeah that's a good one that's a good one how about i want to be known for my transparency yeah like i want people to when they talk about me to say she's real like she who she is in this moment the next moment is exactly who she is yeah that's good it's not a front it's not a thing it's not a facade it is who she is at all times yeah that's what i should 
that's what I strive for. Yeah. That's beautiful. Transparency is so, it just, it creates a sense of safety for me to know that, like you said, whether I meet her on a Tuesday, a Friday, or 10 years later, she's going to be a real person. I like that. And the last one is I showed myself love today by. Ooh. Getting on that bike when I really wanted to take a nap. <laughs> That's I, uh, listen, I was like, I really just want to sleep. But I was like, I got, I didn't work out this morning and I knew that I would feel better if I did. So I got my little juicy self up on that stationary bike, <laughs> threw in my headphones and you know, listen to a 30-minute hip-hop ride, and that did it for me, and it reminded me, like, I do this for me. Good for you. That's how I showed myself some love today. Good for you. Well, before I release you into the rest of your your day. I work with this Oracle deck specifically for the podcast. It's called the Oracle of E and it's a super fun, lighthearted deck. And there's exactly 52 cards. So I just want you to choose a number between one and 52. I'm going to go with 18. That's my number. 18. All right. Let's see. So the message for number 18 is musing right along and musing right along. And it, there's a little guidebook. So I'm going to share a little more musing right along. Might as well write your acceptance speech. Your creative mojo is in rare form. Inspired ideas, brilliant schemes and colossal plans are streaming in from every direction. Courtesy of your inner muse get out a bucket and drink in the sweet nectar of inventiveness and fun. Ooh, I received that. Take it all in. Love that. I love that. <laughs> yes. Well, this has been such a pleasure and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I just want to say thank you again so much for saying yes to having a conversation with a complete stranger. And I just want you to know that I, I just want to affirm you for a moment and just say, I appreciate you for standing for, for women like myself, for standing for the empowerment of women and, and being a beacon of hope and light to others and for your vulnerability and for your transparency and just for your commitment to being a source of healing for others. So I appreciate you and thank you. Just yeah. keep doing what you do. And ah, I can't wait thank to see you. what happens. <laughs> Absolutely. And now we're not strangers anymore. So I know now we're old friends. So you know I'll, you'll be hearing from me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Valerie. Enjoy the rest of your day. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for just inviting me. It was so much fun. I loved it. Absolutely. Thank you.